Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Have you ever had a conflict with a landlord or someone who hired you to do a job? It can be a tense experience. Both parties are dug in. Both parties feel like they're 100% right. And tensions can ratchet up even more once the dispute goes to court, where our system is, in all honesty, adversarial. And while that approach can produce a clear winner and loser, it can also leave people feeling pretty negative afterward. Mediation is a process where both parties can feel heard and understood. And sometimes it's a win-win for all parties involved. Later this hour, we'll learn about mediation from people who have been through it together and from people who help facilitate mediations across the region. But first, every month, our sister station, WNXP, selects an Artist of the Month. For May, it was the New Respects, and we had a really fun conversation with them here on the show. This month, there's a twist. Here to break it down for us is Julie Height, Editorial Director at WNXP. Hey, Julie, what's happening? Hey, glad to be back. Glad to have you with us. So the artist of the month is different this time around. What's up? That is true. I mean, technically, we didn't just do one Nashville Artist of the Month this hmm. time around. We actually focused on a different figure or group each week, and we called it Nashville Originators of the Month, with in mind that June is Black Music Appreciation Month, Pride Month, Juneteenth mm-hmm. falls within June. And so we wanted to do a lot of things to reach back to earlier generations of really important figures here in Nashville that have not gotten their due. And then, you know, in other series, other categories of content, we got to connect those dots to contemporary voices and rising voices and that kind of thing. But yeah, this time it was a chance to to tell some stories that I really felt like were worth telling. I love it. As an old school head myself, I feel it's important to recognize the forces that started a movement and its innovators. So who are some of the innovators that you highlight this month? Oh, you know, I mean, I I think that all four choices uh, are very, they're, they're each very unique and maybe unexpected, too. We actually began with the gospel quartet, the family quartet, the McCrary sisters, and it just so happened that one of the sisters, Deborah McCrary, passed away the week before we'd already been planning this. So it, it made it even more meaningful to get to look at um, the story that they shared growing up in the golden era of gospel and being around so many great singers in their in their home because their dad was this standout voice in the Fairfield Four, you know, and so many legends just came and hung out in their living room and sang. Um, so... So we started with that, and I feel like, you know, in telling the story of the McCrary sisters, it's really important to be able to look at what they took in and then the careers that they carved out, which for a time, for several of them, was singing back up for a lot of other acts in gospel and pop and rock and R&B and country and roots music, you know, adding their their gospel-y 
element to that. And then they've gotten for the last decade to make their own music and incorporate all the things that they love and their own dynamic as sisters, family members, four distinct voices alongside each other. So okay. that that's that's where we started. Let, let's take a listen to a little bit of the McCrary sisters song Train. some funky stuff. So next up, we have Jackie Shane. Now, Jackie was breaking down barriers in her career from the beginning, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Before people even had language for it or, you know, the context to understand it, Jackie Shane came up in Nashville and really started her performing career, not only in churches, charismatic churches here, but also in the Jefferson Street Corridor, all of those clubs, and then joined a traveling troupe and wound up in Canada and had, you know, a bit of a, of a maybe it was a, a decade long in, in and around Toronto. That's where she made the recordings that she made. Uh, so yeah, I mean, she, she eventually did come back to Nashville, but she was misgendered a lot over the years. It eventually, you know, when there was a box set that finally kind of placed her and her work in proper context that came out in 2017, it definitively established that she was a black trans woman. That is how she identified and moved through the world. But um, people didn't necessarily have the language to understand that or see her as, you know, the fully complex person and performer that that she was. But I mean, that box set, it is a rewarding, rewarding listen. And the liner notes are so rich. I got to dive mm. into that and, you know, listening and sort of just trying to recover her voice and what she did want to reveal to us about herself and her experience. She she definitely always insisted on um, on her worth and saying no to anything that she didn't want to do or didn't think that she should do. That's how she operated in her career. And that probably has a lot to do with why she kind of stepped away from it um, eventually and went into retirement and obscurity. No one could find her for a really, really long time. Hmm. Let's hear from one of her songs, Any Other Way. Tell her that I'm That is funky. I love that. Now, you, tell me, what what about Jackie Shane's music? That What is it that really stands out to you? Well, I mean, she really early on was 
often compared to Little Richard, um, who she actually met, you know, and and shared a stage with in Nashville. Uh, there was there was a little bit of that kind of explosive and ecstatic influence early on, and then she just flowered into being her own performer. So there are these really supple, vulnerable performances like the one that we just heard, and then some that are hot and fiery. And I mean, her vocal range, she could she could do that kind of really, really visceral, tough attack and get really gritty. But she could also just bend her voice and get as soft as she wanted to get. And, you know, I mean, when you really spend time with those cuts, it's just deeply affecting really deep, deep stuff, Mm -hmm. you know? Now, you also feature the jazz fusion group, the IGGs. Who were they? Ooh, wouldn't you like to know? Wouldn't everyone like to know? Everyone should know the IGG band. Uh, They actually were a band that formed at Meharry Medical School here in Nashville in 1979, a band of medical students. And some of them had already gotten extensive training in music and had been making music for years and they were all just music heads so you know when they needed a break from their studies they would get together listen to records listen to funk and jazz fusion stuff listen to some Quincy Jones all kinds of things and then they just that spilled over into the urge to actually have an outlet so they started this band and I mean I do not have advanced medical training or any kind of medical training. (laughs) So I had to ask them to explain what IgG is, and it is a kind of antibody. Uh, they were they were being very forward thinking in choosing that name because it was sort of new research in immunology back okay. in the day. Okay. And uh, yeah, so they they just had to find a time to practice on Saturday mornings when they weren't in classes or clinicals and also find a time to record an album. And they they were so studious that they read a book on how to record an album before they proceeded with it. But they cut an album. They It's called Ultrasound, also a medical reference. Hmm. They dropped it in 1980 um, and it became a collector's item. They learned decades later, uh, they were surprised to learn after they were well into their doctor careers and now they're kind of you know they're stars among crate diggers and serious record collectors who've been searching for that album for years it's now out on all of the platforms it's available digitally because it was reissued on a on a british label so they're finally getting their shine and i feel like i got to be one of the first to do an interview with them, with a couple of members of the band, um, Clifford Becker and Kendall Foster, and do a feature on them. It was really, really rewarding getting to talk to them about their music. Medical students who could jam. All right, let's listen to a bit of their song, the IgG theme. It's the reason why. Now that gives a lot of Brother Johnson vibes. And as a record collector, I'm definitely going to start digging for the original, not the reissue. 
I'll get oh, the, okay. Yeah, I'll get the reissue <laughs> on digital. I'm, a, I'm an original head when I collect vinyl. So switching gears just a little bit, Leon Jackson isn't a musician, but someone who gave musicians a platform to perform. Who was Leon Jackson? What type of imprint did he make here in Nashville? You know, Leon Jackson was a show promoter, an event promoter, and he came up here in Nashville. I believe he was actually a TSU grad, and he got into putting on shows and also bringing big shows that were sort of touring regionally or internationally in the dance music realm, electronic realm, the rave realm, when there really wasn't much of that going on here in town. And he, you know, partnered with international promoters and brought in some of the big, big DJ names. And he also boosted the careers of a lot of DJs who were working here in Nashville and had had, you know, pretty limited opportunities for where they could actually play and the Mm. kinds of events that would be open to what they brought to the table. So he, you know, created new avenues in clubs here and then also brought just massive block parties, all kinds of things like that. So, you know, some people consider him the godfather of the electronic music scene or dance music scene um, here in Nashville. And so much so that there's actually a scholarship, a college scholarship created in his honor because he he passed uh, several years ago. And yeah, there's there is now a scholarship at the Blair School of Music at Vanderbilt in his name. Wow. So our our uh, WNXP weekend DJ and freelance contributor Aaron Monty, who knows that scene really well because he also DJs in it, he did some interviews for us and talked with uh, the Nashville DJ Jane Dupree about knowing and working with Leon Jackson and also with the uh, internationally known promoter Donnie Disco. Um, so he got their, their perspectives. And we just thought that that was also a story very worth telling, even if Leon Jackson wasn't a music maker himself. He certainly, you know, blazed a path and made room for music makers and showgoers who wouldn't have had, you know, those space, those robust spaces um, otherwise. Yes. I mean, if he's a promoter of electronic events, he had to know how to throw a party. So this is a <laughs> great, yeah. you know, it's the truth. This is a great list of people and truly some really deep cut originators. What else is on deck at WNXP? Well, we have also been doing, rolling out a series that I hope will continue on into uh, future months as well called Free Samples. And, uh, you mm. know, little, little plug here, if I, if I may, um, Khalil actually was the composer, performer, and producer of the instrumental that you hear at the beginning of those segments. Am I allowed to let people know that? that yes, you, you, the cat is did. out of the bag. I just did. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, those 
segments, each one you get to hear from a different Black music maker who is working in Nashville today, pointing toward what they consider to be an important source, whether that's literally a sample or whether that is um, a peer, an influence, a collaborator, a mentor. It's a great way to be able to hear from and feel just very real connections between music makers and scenes and lineages here in Nashville. That's really important. I love the idea. And thank you for making me a part of that project. You- oh, thank you for creating that that amazing track. Well, yes, 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 yes. I'm all smiles right now, everybody. <laughs> Julie Height is the editorial director at WNXP. You can check out her stories featuring the artists of the month at WNXP.org. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk about mediation and how it can help landlords and tenants work out their problems. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil Colonna, and this is Nashville. For more than two decades, Nashville Conflict Resolution Center has provided free, court-approved mediation services. And one of their main focuses is landlord-tenant disputes. They show up in court where cases are being heard and present another option. Recently, our producer, Tasha A.F. Lemley, shadowed mediator Faith Klein to see a bit of how it's done. If you're here and your case does not have attorney representation on either side, I'm going to be in the hallway. If mediation is something you're interested in, you can come speak with me. Now, unlike someone's attorney, a mediator is neutral, as in they're not advocating for one side over another. Their goal is to reach some sort of agreement for both parties, a livable outcome. And this keeps them out of court, keeps landlords paid, It keeps tenants housed. It's just an opportunity to see if you can reach an agreement on your own without having to have the judge decide decide for you. If you don't reach an agreement, that's totally fine too. You can just come right back in here. Only a couple of people come find Faith in the lobby. In one case, well, it looks great for mediation. She says every case is unique and some have additional challenges. So for this one, we've got a three-way language barrier. Are you wanting to see if you can do mediation? What? I'm only coming for the, the this or... Is this the other side? Yes. Okay, so step aside from the door so you don't get hit. Okay, so you're the plaintiff. Are you interested in doing a mediation to see if you can work something out today? Yes. Yeah? What language do you speak? I speak Arabic. Arabic. I think there's an Arabic interpreter here today. Would you prefer to have an interpreter? Yes. Do you guys need an interpreter? For which language? Spanish. Spanish. Ooh. Okay. I think there's a Spanish interpreter in there today, too, so maybe do you want to do a mediation to see if you can work it out? Yes. The two of you are wanting to do that, too, try to see if you can talk about it and come to an agreement? Okay, I will need to see if the both interpreters are available to come into the mediation room with us. 
So the Arabic-speaking plaintiff, a landlord, and the Spanish-speaking defendant, who's a tenant, they head into a private room down the hall with their English-speaking mediator. It's a protected process, so I stay out. And over the next hour, Faith pops her head out a couple times. It's going well, but they're waiting on the Spanish interpreter. She's in high demand, coming in, helping for a few minutes, and then getting called away again. They have to serve the judges first and then other stuff, so... You know, when she gets a text from, hey, we need you in this courtroom, she's got a bolt. And just a little longer, and they have it all wrapped up. Faith says if interpreters had been readily available, the whole thing would have taken less than 30 minutes. As is, it was about 90. Still, this was a success. Okay, so we're headed back in the courtroom. We just got done with mediation, and the case is going to be dismissed today because everything was resolved. So that's great news. It was a good case to mediate because they could resolve it so easily amongst themselves. And that is what we see a lot with mediation is that people don't really need to go to book before a judge. Um, sometimes they feel like they need to file a case to get things moving. But a lot of times people are totally capable of not having to see a judge and even getting away without a judgment. So that's always a plus. Joining me today are two people who have experienced that plus Firsthand, Miss Lolita Esau is a tenant who had a successful mediation through NCRC, and Mark Bergdorf is her landlord. Welcome to This Is Nashville. Thank you both for being here. Welcome. Thank you. So, Miss Lolita, set up the backdrop for us. How long have you been living in that property? I've been living uh, with Mr. Mark on Mr. Mark property. Uh, I'll say three years now. That's close to it. So, would you say that Mark is a good landlord? Yes, sir. Yeah? Yes, sir. <laughs> yes. What makes him? You're very emphatic. What makes make, what makes him such a good landlord? Because he gave me the chance. He let me know something that he was doing. You know, helping the tenants. I didn't know nothing about the mediator. You know, nothing like that. He recommend recommend me to you know try this to help me with my rent mm-hmm. and. I mean, it was awesome. You know, he was able to keep me out of court. You know, he worked with me. You know, I mean, it's nothing I can ask for him. He's been like a a god in heaven for mm. me and my granddaughter. Okay. And the program is 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 awesome. If you don't mind my asking, what 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 brought you to the situation where you needed mediation? Because I got behind in my rent. Mm-hmm. I I mean, it was like. What am I do? Uh, do I try to stand up and you know talk to him and see what kind of option that I can do before I get thrown out? Me and my granddaughter. So I mean that really, you know, I called him, let him know, Mr. Mark, I don't have this much. Uh, I lost my job, and you know he was able. Okay, Miss Esau, well. I do this for you. You do it like this. Can you pay this? You know, he gave me chances to pull. He helped me pull myself out of a hole. Yes, ma'am. And, I mean, what else can I say? Mm -hmm. I mean, he's just an awesome landlord. You don't find that many like that. You know, and in in the program that he got going on, I wouldn't have never known it if he wouldn't have never brought it to me. It would be like, well, come on, Malaysia, it's time to just pack up and go. You know, I don't have yeah. another choice. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he was able to, you know, let me know about the program that was going on. I'm going to have to get back on it. Okay. Okay. Now, Mark, 
when Miss Lolita got behind on rent, you decided that mediation was a good way to work things out. Tell me, why did you make that choice? Well, at that point, we had, uh, it was during the the COVID pandemic as well. And so there were several uh, folks had received uh, COVID diagnosis and were not allowed to work. They were forced to stay home uh, and therefore they couldn't earn an income and then therefore they couldn't pay their bills. Um, at the same time, there had been an implemented uh, moratorium on evictions. Mm-hmm. So uh, I discovered through our attorney that uh, NCRC was available for uh, mediations. So it looked like a good choice. Um, that way we didn't have to go to court. It, it costs money to go to court. And let's be honest. If you go to court, I feel like court is inefficient and ineffective very often mm-hmm. because that's the last that's the last place you want to be. It got to take money. It takes money to hire an attorney. It takes money to get off of work, and it takes the client time and energy to get off of work to go to court and sit and wait in front of a judge who's going to do one of two things: ask you to mediate or issue a judgment. Gotcha. Um, so, and it's not beneficial to any one of us uh, to go to court. So it looked like a very doable option. Uh, so, uh, with uh, uh, Rob's recommendation, we called Sarah and uh, Faith and got a uh, uh, mediation set up. Now, other landlords and property owners make use of eviction courts to handle situations like this. Do you know of any who decide to who prefer mediation like yourself? I, I, I'm not sure. I think there are some out there that probably do uh, because it just makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm sure if anyone looks at the uh, just not even the dollar and cents value of it, but the time uh, involved, you can get a much quicker resolution with mediation than you can even the court systems. Now, now, Lolita, when Mark presented the idea of using mediation as a potential recourse to settle this situation, how did you feel about that? I felt great. I mean, it, it was like a relief, a pressure was off of me. Mm. I mean, I mean, I feel like, okay, I got another chance. Yeah. And that's what we all need is another chance at times. What was the process like for you both to engage in mediation? Mark. Okay. Oh, sorry. You want to go? No, you. Okay. All right. Um, Well, the process was simple, in fact. Uh, I had to gather the documents required, the leases, the ledgers, all these things, and send them on to Faith. And uh, Faith was then charged with reaching out to me and uh, Miss Esau uh, to set up an appointment. Uh, and the appointment was set. Then we all scheduled a Zoom meeting, um, and we talked it out. Uh, we had some uh, various uh, concessions that me as a landlord had to make and uh, Miss Esau as a client needed to make mm-hmm. to resolve the issue. So that's, that's where the compromise comes in. Uh, there are creative ways to do things, and we just have to look for the best um, best resolution that satisfies the main goal, which is keeping people housed. Keeping people housed. Um, you know, Miss Lolita, when what was the process like? Explain how was how it went down for you. I mean, it was like uh, Mr. Mark had called me and let me know, you know, what type of program it was, and I right then just jumped on it. Yes, sir. 
Mm-hmm. You know, didn't ask no question or nothing because I needed a house. So, I mean, I talked to you. I talked to Miss Sarah. Miss Sarah and Mr. Mark. We was all on the phone. We did a, a Zoom. Uh, I was at work. I mean, it didn't take no more than 10, 15 minutes. And, okay. you know, they made arrangement where I pay them, you know, like half of my rent one week when I got paid, half of my rent the next week when I got paid, instead of me trying to get it all up at one time or once a month, it was it worked it better for me. It was better because I knew, okay, when I get paid this week, you know, I got to give Mr. Mark this. That, that was all right. Uh-huh. I didn't have to worry about, okay, this is the first of the month. I got to get all this money up at one time. Yeah. How am I going to do it? You know, I'm just only one person. I just got one job. I don't have, you know. Yeah. But it it was... It worked out fine. Took a lot of that pressure. It off. took a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, took a lot. Between these two, I'm sitting in the middle of them. These are my angels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil A. Colonna. We're talking about the practice of mediation and how it can help resolve conflicts without animosity. I'd like to introduce my next guest. Sarah Fiegel is the director of the Nashville Conflict Resolution Center or the NCRC. Sarah, thanks so much for being with us. So glad to be here. Can so, I just say something to Miss Esau? Yeah. She was talking about us as angels. You, you, Miss Lolita, are the reason mediation worked. It's not because Mark said, oh, here's an option. It's not because a mediator showed up. It's because you showed up and used your voice to find a solution. And what I love about mediation is it's it's the people who go in and say, I know my conflict, I know what I need, I know best how to move forward. Mediator doesn't know, we're just there to help you find the words and the phrases, and a judge certainly doesn't know. So you are the angel here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Amen to that. Yeah. Now, I want to back up one minute, Sarah. You, you explained the process of how you know, the clients really assist the process. But break down to us, what is mediation? How does it work? You know, there are a lot of kinds of mediation in the world, of the, in the legal system. I like to think that mediation is the most radically inclusive part of a system that can very often exclude people. Because mediation is an opportunity f- that the court understands for people who have a conflict to come together with someone who's been very well trained in helping them kind of de-escalate emotions and kind of work through options, popcorn ideas. And, but it fundamentally prioritizes the voice of the people in the conflict. Mediation is not um, arbitration. A mediator doesn't offer legal advice, doesn't say, hey, I have a better idea for you. And um, in fact, when we train mediators, we tell them, a successful outcome is any outcome where people leave feeling like they really hurt each other and were heard and feel mm. optimistic about where to go next, even if they have to go back to court. Because sometimes people need a judge, no mm. question. Sometimes people, you know, you need it. But, and so we're not, mediation is not um, a checkbox to try and force people to agree to something. It's the opportunity to help people unravel what's happening in a very complex world that's not getting kinder faster, right? mm-hmm. and um, figuring out how to look across a table despite differences and say, how can we 
find a way that we can walk out of here and we all flourish. What makes it particularly effective in landlord-tenant disputes? Well, I'm, you know, I'll defer to the people who've actually done it, but in my experience, having mediated many of these cases, I think that with landlords and tenants, people go to court as a last-ditch option. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think Mark was very clear. No one wants to go to court. And people show up very conflicted and very stressed. I think landlords often are carrying some feelings of guilt and shame. They don't want to be... I've never been a landlord who wanted to be the bad guy, right? Mm -hmm. And tenants show up often feeling embarrassed and a little bit ashamed because they... They don't, no one wants to be in a position of that kind of vulnerability. And those feelings make it very hard for them to talk to each other. And half the time we get to a mediation room and it's just, well, he didn't, he wouldn't talk to me. She wouldn't talk to me. It didn't know what else to do. And that's why, I mean, yes, people can figure out what they need to do, but they need the mediator to help. Real, literally, I mean, the word mediator means in the middle, right? Uh, yeah. They need like, a, it's just a safe middle ground just to help filter and translate and say, well, I heard I heard you say he was a pretty good guy. I heard you say she was a good tenant. So what does that mean going forward? Question for you. How do you stay neutral in these dis- disputes? <laughs> <laughs> well, I will tell you this. There's, um, when we train mediators, right, I will always say, a mediator has to perform neutrality. No one is neutral. None of us are really neutral, right? We have our biases. We have, our, we have to perform neutrality. And in the kind of mediation work we do as a nonprofit, which is really helping a lot of people who just can't access the system very well otherwise, mm-hmm. neutrality doesn't mean kind of being coldly indifferent to everybody. It means kind of radically loving the best self of everybody in the room. And neutral means I don't have to judge. I don't have to know whose truth might be truer. I can absolutely love your truth, and I can love your truth, and I can really root for both of you to flourish at the end of the day. That's rare. That's neutral. That that's what. Well, that's community mediation for you. Mm-hmm. I love it. Now, Miss Lolita, would you use a mediator again? Yes. Sure. No hesitation. Sure. You want to think about yes, it a minute? Yes, sir. I don't have to think about it. No, yes, sir. Mark, how about yourself? Oh, definitely. In fact, I've got uh, I've got to reach out to the team uh, here either today, tomorrow, something like that. Another okay. client we have to discuss. Okay. That's what we're here for. Yep. That is exactly what you're here for. I appreciate, I appreciate the fact that you all have been here to enlighten us and explain this wonderful concept. Really appreciate it. That is Miss Lolita Esau. She was joined by Mark Bergdorf and Sarah Fiegel of the Nashville Conflict Resolution Center. Again, thanks to you all for coming on to the show. And thank you. Anytime. Thanks for having us. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll learn how mediation can work beyond landlord-tenant disputes and how it's being used by people and institutions all over the region. Have you used mediation? Tweet us about it at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil Ekelona, and this is Nashville. 
this hour we're exploring the practice of mediation as it means of as a means of conflict resolution. As we heard earlier, it can be an effective way to help a tenant and a landlord reach an understanding that's mutually beneficial. To help understand how mediation can help in all kinds of situations and what it might mean for how we interact with each other, I'd like to welcome my next guests. Danita Marsh is a mediator and former police officer who has done landlord-tenant mediation through Metropolitan Development and Housing Agency, or MDHA, and Dr. Steve Joyner is the director of the Institute for Conflict Management at Lipscomb University. Danita and Dr. Joyner, thank you both for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you. So earlier in the show, we were talking about landlord-tenant mediations. Danita, you have mediated such instances with MDHA. What makes it more challenging to mediate with government agencies? That's a great question. Um, The challenges that I have seen in the past mostly um, dealt with uh, getting the government agencies to trust an outside agency to come in. and that's been the biggest challenge. And luckily, NCRC, National Conflict Resolution Center, has a great relationship with MDHA. Um, we've built that trust, um, and then we continue to build it. Um, and so um, it's really important that we um, continue to um, be partners with them um, and to um create trust just with the the government agency. Now, does that trust change when administrations change in government agencies? It's a constantly rebuilding. Ah. Constantly yeah. rebuilding. Um, and MDHA often do have changes in management. Um, and we have to reach out and um, set meetings and um, and explain the process because they're bringing in new people who don't necessarily always understand mediation. Um, and then we, like I said, it's, it's constantly rebuilding and creating relationships. So tell me, how did you become a mediator? I became a mediator over a decade ago. I was actually interested in volunteer work uh, as a former police officer. I felt like that's what police, police officers do is that they, in a sense, uh, mediate uh, as much as they can. Um, but police work is just putting a Band-Aid over the, on the problem. Mm. And I was t- looking to transfer the skills I had as a police officer over to um, another field. And I just happened to come across the Nashville Conflict Resolution Center. And I thought that I had skills that was transferable. And then, of course, I went through their training um, and learned that I probably knew nothing about <laughs> how to manage conflict okay. other than what you learn as a police officer, which is essentially you're just quickly putting a Band-Aid over the problem and then moving on to the next call. Do you think it's important that, you know, uh, since 2020 and before, there's been a call to necessarily reform how police do their job? Would you think it's important and beneficial for officers during training um, and after to get training on skills of mediation practices? Yes, I think it's very important. I know that, that the Nashville Police Department have encouraged conflict resolution skills for officers. Um, and I'm so glad to see that happen. Uh, when I was an officer, that was over, like I said, over a decade ago, um, the conflict resolution skills wasn't necessarily being taught in the police academy. Um, and so now that when I go back to the police academy to visit, uh, there's actually... Um, in the classrooms, you'll see these boards they have up about how to de-escalate situations, which is part of conflict resolution. And I am so happy to see that because I believe that is so important because essentially that's what police officers do. Um, they don't do it for the long haul as mediators. They don't have that much time to spend with, with people um, that they encounter when they're on their calls. 
Um, but I am so happy to see police departments are uh, encouraging that. And also, there's also a di- another side to it where police officers and citizens are meeting uh, and having mediation to resolve complaints uh, and issues that have have came up when the officers were out in the field encountering citizens. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're, I'm seeing more police officers more police departments in the country that are, are employing mediation between officers and citizens, uh, which I think is just absolutely great. And so now what I'm seeing is, is that police departments are training their officers to de-escalate and manage conflict uh, between citizens. And then they're utilizing mediation between citizens and police officers to um, to resolve some of the complaints that they have had um, mm-hmm. in the police department. Now, Steve, mediation is not solely for a dispute between two people, right? Right. It can also be an effective tool for businesses and corporations. Right. I mean, so mediation really is just, uh, as you've heard before, a third party uh, with some neutrality helping people or entities figure their stuff out. I mean, that's really what conflict management is. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it's what the Institute for Conflict Management, where we serve, we really do appreciate the work of NCRC. And and we tend to focus a little bit more on entities and families and those. And they're all mediation skills just used in different ways. Now, what benefits do businesses, corporations, and these entities attain when they use mediation as opposed to taking it to Well, one of them is just financial. I mean, the the time, the energy, the the uh, the money that's tied up in the legal system. You know, that's where really mediation came you know came from. One of their sources, this idea that the legal system, uh, for all of its good work, can tie up a lot of energy, time, and pain. Whereas if you have someone who's who's skilled in mediation and and understands, uh, you know, I, I work with hospitals, nonprofits, universities, understands those systems, you can pull people together and you can resolve a lot mm. without uh, escalating it to a lawsuit or something like that. Now, Danita, you've, how have you seen mediation work in the lives of juveniles and young people? So there's this idea of um, this pipeline, uh, the prison pipeline, you know, from the, from the schoolhouse to the prison prison yard, essentially. And so mediation has been essential in disrupting that. And so mediation has been used as a non-traditional tool. Um, When you have a juvenile, instead of them, instead of charges, a lot of juveniles are given the opportunity to mediate, um, to meet with the the victim. And we talk about uh, accountability and then victim reparation. Um, And so that's how mediation has been really instrumental with, with the juveniles, mm-hmm. tr- trying to disrupt that that pipeline. And also, while we're trying to disrupt it, we're teaching conflict resolution skills to the to the juveniles as well, uh, because we know that conflict is is natural natural. It's, it will occur, and so we're giving them juvenile skills on how to resolve that um, while they're actively resolving an issue or a conflict. Mm-hmm. And, now, if you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Kelly Lake We're talking about mediation with Danita Marsh and Dr. Steve Joyner. So I understand this is a confidential process, but what is there an anecdote that either one of you can share about or something that you've learned from sitting at the mediation table? Um, I've learned a lot. I think you, you learn as a mediator, you may learn more than they do in this process. But I think one of the things I've learned is that um, no, people. When people come to you, they rarely call me when they drive the 
bus in the ditch. They've usually drive the bus in the ditch, turn the bus upside down, and set the bus on fire. Okay. And then they call, and they usually see no way out. And, and it's just kind of stunning to them what can happen when you sit down over a long— I mean, I did a mediation last week. It was 27 hours in mediation mm. between a couple of universities. Uh, they saw no way out. And, uh, and after three days of working through it, uh, they found a way. And I think people are amazed that there's still a way that they just need help getting there. Now, Danita, have you found any skills, anything you've learned from being a mediator? I've learned that people are more alike than they are dissimilar. Um, and when you pull that out, um, people tend to uh, bond over some of the strangest things. <laughs> but um, but it, but I think it's important to show that. And that's, that's one of the great tools and skills that mediators have is to show that we are um, we're we're all trying to do the best that we can, mm-hmm. um, and that we have more things in common in this world as we're tra- as we're journeying through and trying to make it through this world. Um, we have more things in common than we do than differences. You said people bond over some of the strangest things. Can you share a few? Um, particularly, you know, dealing with like uh, tenants. I, I've done a lot of tenant disputes, just disputes between tenants themselves, right? Um, you'll find um, people who live in close proximity to each, each other, particularly during the pandemic, <laughs> had mm. a, a lot of conflict and um, a lot of people were working from home. Yeah. So that so that was a, a common a commonality that they could kind of bun, and we create we created these very creative plans um, where you know and people were became like each other's own um, personal support cheerleader because because we were all working it from home and and we had tenants that were in conflict because of noise and so one tenant was working between these hours and another tenant may be working between these hours and so you saw them coming together trying to figure out how could they uh, work um, in peace and and keep noise down and so they so you see them bonding over over the issues with pan, with pandemic and we're being at home and we got to kind of work this thing out together because we live in a community together and we can't avoid each other mm-hmm. um, you, um you see um Women who um, have children, um, maybe by the same individual, you see them coming together, bonding over that, and, uh, and understanding that their children are siblings. And so now we have to figure this thing out because our, our children are essentially related. Yeah. Um, and so they, it's a bonding that happens over that. And it's, of course, this is bonding of, of being done wrong, in a sense, um, by the individual. So um, that's, that. that's the strangest, probably, that's the strangest stories that, <laughs> that, we, that we hear. Now, it feels like you both have a great amount of patience. Mm-hmm becoming mediators? Is that something that's a requirement or something you pick up along the way? I, it was learned by me. So that I'm not naturally a patient person. Okay. Right? But I think the process, so so we tell people, we, we train students in conflict management. That, and we have master's degrees at the university. And one of our lines is trust the process. You just, there's a process you use. It's not magic. You're not born with this. There's a learned process, and that process requires us to be patient, requires us to listen. 80% of what comes out of my mouth in mediation should be questions. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to learn and help guide them. And so I think the process itself forced me to learn how to be more patient in that process. Yeah. Danita, did you? Do you have a natural patience, or is this something that enhanced as you went along in mediation? 
definitely enhance. Um, I've come a, I come from a background that professional background that requires me to have patience. Um, before I did police work, I was uh, I worked in the mental health field, um, and so I, you know I took all the skills all the skills I had learned over the course of my life and applied them to to mediation. And so uh, mediation has helped me to be more patient. Um, but definitely my professional background, that patience were, has been built up. I've got five siblings, two older, three younger, and I find myself to be the mediator in all types of family conflicts. Oh, yeah. My parents always said I had the patience of Job. Now I know why. Now you know. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. So, Steve, you were talking about you know the Institute of Conflict Management at mm-hmm. Lipscomb. You know, what's the student's reaction when they hear about mediation, when they learn more about it, as opposed to going to court? So it's fascinating. First, uh, I, the most common comment I get is, oh, I don't know if I'll be good at this. I don't like conflict. And I tell them, if you like conflict, we'll send you the psychology department because there's something wrong. You okay. know? Uh, but, but I think the thing that is most interesting to them, it, it really is a process. There's a skill set. There's systems involved. And that it, that you can learn to be, you know, it doesn't take a per, a certain type person. Anyone can learn to be helpful. They can move systems along, and you can you can help with some really complex stuff just by being a person who pays attention, has the right skill set, and has the right heart. And I think that's what they had to learn. I got thirty seconds left, Anita. How can Nashville use mediation to help the city and its issues? How can it use it effectively? Mm-hmm. So mediation is a um, a tool um, to help restore relationships and help build healthy relationships, um, re- reduce harmful behavior in the community. Um, and the great thing about that is is that mediation um, helps to repair harm, um, and the community can use mediation as a way to lessen the burden on the court system, as well as the police department, and as well and to empower individuals to resolve their own conflict versus having a a person, a judge, come in and tell them what they have to do. Now they can create creative solutions to their own problems. That is Danita Marsh. She was joined by Dr. Steve Joyner. Thanks to you both for joining us today. We want to thank everyone who tuned in this hour. Tomorrow, it's all about the city budget. We'll bring you a special Citizen Nashville to break it down. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, Tasha A.F. Limley. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos-Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tuthope. Shout out to our intern, Doreen Schernecki. The masterminds behind our theme music are Lorange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Sue Flynn Meyer. Kiara Atkinson, Tracy Allen, and Mr. Jeff Thompson. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us, as usual, on Facebook and Instagram. And tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Colonna. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other.